Plot twists. Candy candy floss. Movie tickets. I'm not already good at this. Story arcs. Plot twists. I said plot. Uh, oh. The plot thickens. Oh, Charles Dickens. <laughs> Thrillers, serial killers, sharks, good guys, bad guys, dinosaurs, great white sharks, greater white sharks, fast cars, directors, fast women, comedies, dramas, sci-fi, rom-coms, robots, sequels, prequels, VHS, Blu-ray. That's enough, isn't it? That's all right, yeah. I'm James. I'm Maxie. And this is Popcorn. Hello and welcome to another episode of Popcorn, where we watch B-grade films in the hope that they're so bad that they're good. I'm Maxie, and with me in our Sydney studios is James. Hello. How are you this week? Uh, I am well. How are you going? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Are you recovering from uh, hotty versus naughty? Yeah, so far so good. Have you had the chance to talk about it with anybody? Uh, not a great deal. I'm just uh, trying to uh, recuperate from uh, the loss of the two the two hours that we spent watching it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to imagine every unattractive person I've seen this week as, <laughs> as, a, as a hottie. <laughs> Makes me, makes me feel like a much better human being. That's right. <laughs> On this week's episode, we'll be discussing Atlantic Rim and see whether it lives up to the best of what B-grade films have to offer, whether it has a formulaic storyline with inconsistencies, poor production quality, lesser known or has been cast with questionable acting abilities, lower budget and, of course, laughable quotes. First, of course, we'll discuss the cast and the plot. A little bit later, we will play searchimdb.com to see how highly the film features using the popular film and television website. And then last but not least, we will score each film out of a maximum five kernels. So, uh, James, after watching this film just now, do you just want to talk us quickly through who starred in it and what the story yeah. was? Yeah, that's right. Uh, and so the film stars Graham Green. If you remember him, he was in The Green Mile, uh, Dances with Wolves uh, from Tatanka. Remember Tatanka? Uh, he was in Maverick and uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance. So quite well known. Uh, Anthony Treach, uh, Chris, um, who was one of the warriors in this film we'll get to, he's been in The Wolf of Wall Street, Eight Mile, Up in the Air, and he was in an episode of The Sopranos uh, called Fleshy Part of the Thigh. Uh, David Kokachi uh, was from Baywatch. Uh, he was Cody, uh, the blonde guy. Uh, big white teeth, uh, spiky blonde hair. Uh, he was also in uh, Abner the Invisible Dog, Murder.com, and uh, Mystery Woman, Oh Baby. Uh, Jackie Moore uh, is from All Wifed Out, 100 Ghost Street and Lipstick Jungle. Uh, Nicole Alexandra Sherpley uh, was from Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, Club Lingerie, and Boomerang Returns, which confused me because that's the whole idea about a boomerang. Uh, and finally, Nicole Dixon, uh, who played Margaret in this film, uh, with the resume predominantly revolving around uh, a TV show called Wicked Attraction, uh, where she played Aunt Mary, uh, a neighbour, and a good neighbour. That's great. Um, of those actors, a couple did stand out to me. Uh, you mentioned Graham Greene. It does seem like a standard feature of all B-grade films that they spend a lot of their budget on getting one has-been actor or one famous actor. And sorry, I shouldn't say has-been. This guy has been around for a while, but um, in fact, he's still up there. I remember him. I remember watching him when I was a kid um, on a TV show called Spirit Bay, which was a TV show that ran from 1980 to 1986 about the lives of Canadian Aboriginal peoples in northern Ontario where he played the chief. Oh. It was um, a flashback indeed. Good show. Um, indeed. Well, as... Well, you watched it more than once, didn't you? Yeah. That's right. It wasn't like Sequest DSP where you just had to watch it because it was on. <laughs> that's right. And I wasn't allowed out on a Saturday night. 
No, I was a captive um, member of the audience at the age of um, however old I was. Um, but David Chukachi, who, um, of course, was the other person that they spent a lot of money on, uh, would you believe that he was um, one of uh, People magazine's 50 most beautiful people in the world in 1997? You know, I didn't know that, but... Uh, Not hard to believe. I took the words right out of your mouth. Is there life after Baywatch? This guy, David Kokachi, he kind of shows there is. Yes. I mean, you get people like Nicole Eggert, um, Pamela Anderson. I mean, they have big sort of like, you know, crashes down. Erica Eliniak, I haven't heard much from her. I think she had her last acting role in 2003. Uh, but David Hasselhoff uh, rears his head every now and then. I saw him at the cricket a few years ago. Um, he made a big blunder um, a couple of times, made the same mistake, but uh, that's another story for another time. Um, but Jason Momoa. Uh, Who's that? He was in Baywatch Hawaii. He played... Uh, <laughs> really? Yeah. But he's the guy that became um, Khal Drogo in Game of Thrones. No. And uh, he's Aquaman, and he's been in... Um, well, he's got his own movie coming up, uh, but he was in um, uh, Dawn of Justice, Batman Superman, and yeah. he's in um, uh, Justice League as well coming out. Wow. So there is... Uh, both Jason Momoa, David Hasselhoff, and now David... Uh, Chokachi had proved there is actually life after Baywatch. So in some way, we have Baywatch to thank for Atlantic Rim. Um, especially, I think, Baywatch. Thank or blame. Yeah. <laughs> tomato, tomato. Uh, so IMDb reviews. Uh, I actually love going through these. Uh, Robert Hart Pedro uh, claims this movie is a ripoff of Pacific Rim. Of course it is. I mean, well, it is called Atlantic Rim, but uh, maybe there's more to it than just the title. Well, the film is brought to us by our friends at The Asylum, who in fact made the first film that we talked about, Megashark versus Crocosaurus, and they're very very well known for their mockbusters, as they call them. Mm. So taking films that have just been released or have at least, that have been quite famous at the box that have been quite <laughs> famous at the box office, and then doing a B-grade rip-off of them. Right. And this is one of those. Like Transmorphers. Yeah. Was that one of those as well? I think so. So was that Transformers? I assume so. They've done the Terminators, which is a rip-off of Terminator Salvation as well. Oh. See, I never saw that. I saw Terminator 2 a bunch of times, eventually saw Terminator 1, and then uh, that's kind of it. You, so you watch the first half hour of another Terminator, and it's like... Oh. You haven't seen Terminator 2? No, I saw that a few times first and thought yeah. it was fantastic, yeah. and it's brilliant. Yeah, actually came to um, the uh, that's um, that's a realization of one of um, James Cameron's dreams he had about a robot walking through flames. That was the first. Uh, that was what laid the. Um, that was the seed that planted the idea right. of uh, of Terminator Two. Okay, um, and so did you think that Terminator One was good? Look, I think it was good enough. It was great. <laughs> What are you talking about? <laughs> Terminator 2 was the good one. Yeah, Every now and then, you no. get a sequel that's better. Dare I say, Lethal Weapon breaths. 2 is slightly deep better than right Terminator. Than... In, out, count to 10. Okay. Um, I think that um, we'll have, have to leave that for another, another podcast. For one. Uh, IMDb reviews. Um, uh, I am White Wicker uh, asked uh, if this is a school project. <laughs> if only somebody could answer that that's right uh, one review said uh, worst movie in 100 years of filmmaking <laughs> um, another one said uh, 11 out of 10 would watch again <laughs> and my favourite was from a guy called Rob Taylor <laughs> who called it not Atlantic Rim but Toilet Rim <laughs> oh come on that's just toilet humour uh, <laughs> I'm going to edit that out. Archie. (laughs) 
And just so you know exactly what the film was uh, and what we were dealing with today, we're going to go through the entire synopsis. Uh, so it begins with an oil spill. Um, a submarine gets destroyed. Uh, the rig gets destroyed. Um, and after a bunch of science talk and some quick character building, uh, they determine that they just don't believe um, the rig disappeared like that. And there's only one solution to figure out what the hell happened with this rig, uh, and that's to get the guy that um, is uh, best in the armed service at this kind of thing. Red. Uh, <laughs> Red. He was the first one to sign up, and he passed all the tests. He is a reckless liability. But he's the best we've got. We meet Red first, uh, and I think we get to know Red quite well uh, when he's... Uh, it looks like the Mardi Gras parade that's happening in New Orleans. Uh, we'll get to that in a bit. Uh, but uh, so he and another girl, in the, they're wearing, um, they're wearing uh, camos, they're wearing fatigues, uh, and they're walking in a back alley. Um, he bumps into someone who's smoking, and then a fight begins. The guy with this long hair with a cigarette calls him a, a name of some sort. That's and, and Red's like, you know, do you know who you're talking to, and blah, blah, blah. That guy starts it, Red finishes it. That's right. Ah, <laughs> uh, Red. Um, confrontation that could have been avoided. It they had better things it to really do. It really could have been. That lane was so wide. Was, I had no idea why they bumped into each other. But they get a call after they beat up these guys and they say, you know, we've got to be on deck in 10 minutes. And I think they're both a bit drunk at the time. But we'll get to that as well. That's right. Uh, so they get to this headquarters thing in the army. They suit up in the robot suits and um, they go down into the Atlantic to find out what's happened. They come across a monster. Um, the monster then comes onto the shores. Is it in Florida or New Orleans? I'm not really sure. They manage to um, destroy it, especially Red, and then the streets are filled with dead people. Uh, Red's running along and then he meets his two soldiers. And I've actually got a quote here if you don't mind me. Please read it out. That was insane. Yo, I was in the bot, and I got the thing, the monster, pinned down on the ground, and I saw its jaws pried open all the way. I'm pinning it, and I'm shaking it, and I'm fighting with him. The Spitfire comes in. It's got a full payload. 50 caliber didn't leave a scratch. He pulls up sharply. He comes around for a second round. Spitfire pulls up. He comes in close, drops it, nails it. Boom, boom, thing's gone. So a bit of a big quote, but we actually saw all of that happen. So I don't know why he has it recounted again. So a couple of comments about the film. It does feel like an episode of Cops with shaky camera work, but that doesn't seem purposeful. That seems almost by accident. With very detailed dialogue, the example of which you've just given. Admiral Hadley has a very confusing management style. (laughs) Um, In fact, if I could follow on from you and just read out some other quotes... Admiral Hadley says, Bull butter, get on the horn and get me some subs, carriers and destroyers on the double. To which the lieutenant responds, I've requested everything you wanted. And the admiral says, then get back on the horn and request everything else. So I think that there is a little bit more detail required in that. However, the admiral in other instances offers some contradictory advice. For example, he says to Red, you broke every rule today. I've never been so proud. (laughs) But then he orders that Red be arrested and put in the brig. That was so confusing. It was very confusing. And in fact, I took the opportunity just to see what can you do when you do meet with an inconsistent manager. So I decided to do some research. Uh, There are five things, in fact, that the Houston Chronicle suggests. Number one, act on your own job responsibilities and complete the work that you were hired to do. Number two, create systems to streamline work as much as possible. (laughs) Number three, ask your boss for guidance on how to work with him. 
Number four, communicate with your boss in an assertive yet respectful style. And number five, look for a new position either within or outside the company. <laughs> That's my advice to Red after watching an hour and a half of this. Right. Watching him and, and witnessing how he interacts with the Admiral, I feel that he could perhaps benefit from some of this advice. And so where do you go if he's looking for another job? If your job is specifically to jump in a suit and fight a monster that's come from the bottom of the ocean. Well, um, diversifying the, the, from there and <laughs> That's right. That's, that's, the, uh, that's the, the ultimate struggle between being a specialist or being a generalist, isn't it? He's obviously very specialist in um, getting inside a robot and fighting with monsters. Where else can you go from that? I don't know. Maybe into recruitment. He could follow you into advertising, perhaps. Oh, okay. I wouldn't. <laughs> I don't know what's more dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> I laugh. Um, okay, so Red, uh, Red uh, after this big uh, monster fight um, for prying the jaws open of this monster and disobeying the orders, um, he is arrested and thrown into military prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, then uh, the lieutenant comes in and he's invited uh, to a party uh, for defeating the monster. New Orleans burns outside. I think it's New Orleans. If it is New Orleans, then I am not so surprised that nobody noticed the place was on fire. Because you went there, didn't you, for your honeymoon? We did. And um, you know what? Uh, what did it was, you like about it? What did you not like? I actually it? loved it. It's just in the middle of Mardi Gras and everyone was there. Everyone was drunk. Yeah. Everyone was just like behaving abominably. Were you behaving abominably? Abs- I was on my best behavior mm-hmm. because, you know, I was representing Australia. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, I ate their crappy food and I smiled. Good. <laughs> what do you mean the crappy food? I thought it was all wonderfully delicious and... Um... Uh, okay, so during Mardi Gras, you're very limited for choice. Every place has a massive queue out the front. Oh, okay. Um, we, went into a, uh, we went into a restaurant, which I thought I recognised on the film, but obviously I'm not sure because we don't know if they're filming in Florida or New Orleans. No. So um, on the menu, there was a thing called uh, uh, rice, beans and sausages. Okay. Um, well, that's sounding good so far. Right, but then you order it. It is quite literally boiled white rice... Yeah. Like canned baked beans. Okay. And sausages, it was like a half sausage cut in half. Like in a taco or in a burrito of some kind? Just a plate. Oh, no. Um, The best food we had there was probably uh, the room service. It was um, two burgers with chips and we... My wife wanted extra chips, and so we got <laughs> extra chips. She's such a bad influence on you. It was 50 US dollars. I told you never to marry her. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so you're, you're, it's really hard to discern where in the United States this, this film is taking place. Uh, look, it might be worthwhile me mentioning it right now, that um, Atlantic Rim was originally planned to be shot at Naval Air Station Pensacola in Florida. Um, But the asylum were denied permission to film at the base after a high-ranking official read the script and disagreed with the portrayal of the soldiers. James, can you blame this unnamed high-ranking official for not wanting to enable this film? I'm going to go about halfway through page one and say, (laughs) this is nonsense. Look, I just like the fact that there's a high-ranking official in the United States military whose job it is to read B-grade Hollywood film. I reckon they'd have a lovely job. That's right. Look, imagine all the other films that they've read through. And Independence Day, yes. Let's <laughs> open up all the bases for that film. This, this makes sense. Aliens. Let's get, the president. Let's get the president into a jet fighter. That's right. <laughs> He's got nothing better to do. <laughs> it's personal. Get him on board. <laughs> what else is there? 2012, of course. Let's let the film producers into all of our bases to film 2012. What else? What other, what other films would this high-ranking official be 
saying yay or nay to? What's that zombie one? Was Brad Pitt about the Z? Z oh, World War Z. World War Z. Yeah, all those aircraft carriers out at sea. Top Gun? Yep. Do you know what? I think you're right. Because wasn't that the first military film after the Vietnam War where they really promoted the US military and oh, wasn't there an uptick in people wanting to join the at least the Air Force after the film came Because it was the promise of getting with a sexy nurse or whatever she yeah. was. Also I think volley, volleyball teams <laughs> all around the United States were an uptick in people wanting to I join. I bet them. aviator sales went through the roof. Yeah that's right. Now what was that other film uh, with Owen Wilson behind enemy lines? Uh, yes. With, um, Gene Hackman? Gene, Gene Yes, Gene, yeah. I was going to say Gene Wilder, but Gene Hackman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of uh, Charlie the Chocolate Factory. Right. <laughs> that movie just um, some of it, some of it just looked amazing, but some of it made absolutely no sense. And it was strange seeing Owen Wilson not in a comedy movie as a soldier <laughs> in some. I think I think it was in Georgia. I re- that was at the beginning of his career where it really could have gone either way. Right, he could have gone into slapstick bro comedies, or he could have been <laughs> like a real. Hollywood, I think he made his bed. Theoretical actor. <laughs> I'm sure he has no regrets. <laughs> Back to Atlantic Rim. What happened? So they find the monsters lay eggs, and the eggs flourish in um, environments that are a perfect balance of crude oil and salt water. That sounds like Mega Shark versus Crocosaurus. I think this movie did lack an aqua acoustical engineer. It did. I was se- I'm sensing a crossover. That's- <laughs> <laughs> Can Steve Urkel and 1997's Sexiest Man Alive get together in another film? <laughs> Watch this space. So they get given these suits, another monster appears, they get given these headsets, and then the, the robots that they're in follow their every move. Mm-hmm. Found it funny when they finally got into their suits with these headsets, they practiced punching for about 20 minutes. I was like, okay, we get it, you can throw a punch. <laughs> um, the monster attacked New York in the end. Um, suddenly they've got super weapons like axes and swords. Is it Lieutenant Geis? I think he's... Look, I don't know what those things on his lapels mean. He could be a lieutenant or a major or something. Or What did the eye patch was for? I, well, I suspect he's probably been in action before and lost it. Maybe. He seemed to be quite hot-headed and quite um, deceptive. He Throughout the entire film, he was on the phone to a, a General Grassley... Right, and then right, coming right. back to Admiral Hadley saying, General Grassley says we can use nu- nuclear weapons. And Admiral Hadley was saying, well, no, we're not going to use nuclear weapons because we've got these guys in the right. robots, plus we've got civilians in New York. We can't bomb them with a nuclear weapon. I'm confident that the United States president is the only person that can... Pretty sure he's the only one delegated to use nuclear weapons. That's right. Yeah. Um, but a uh, guy speaks to this uh, authority uh, and does order a nuke strike. Uh, the robot trio, um, who is Red and um, the blonde girl and the, the other dude, they well, manage to capture the nuke um, mid-air. Mm-hmm. Then they steal an idea from Iron Man where they take the monster <laughs> into space. Uh, they cram the nuke in it, they kick it away, um, the thing blows up, um, Red's robot falls all the way down to Earth, uh-huh. and um, they ask if he's dead, he's clearly not. He comes out and the four of them go for a tequila. And that's, that's where the credits start. That's great. That's a happy happy ending. Are these m pilots ready? Gearing up as we speak. I, look, I've just got one question for you after watching the film. If you turn your mind back to the beginning, after defying orders to power down and let the Navy take on the monster, Red accidentally, in his robot, uses his laser to destroy an apartment building. 
Um, how many people do you think died? And I only ask this because afterwards he is arrested and put in the brig and yep. he portrays it as does his friend or as do his friends as though it's some kind of injustice. But to my mind, 500 people possibly died. Yeah. And no. he said, oops. That's right. A psychopath. Not good enough. Either there's no one in those buildings and it's okay for him to say, oops, mm. or he's a psychopath, a sociopath that doesn't care about how many people he's killed. Exactly. But how would he have known that those buildings were empty or not? That's right. They, I think they'd be full. If I was um, if I was in that building and I saw a monster coming from the shore, mm-hmm. I'd probably sit tight and um, just believe that's probably the safest option. That's right. Get down low and go, go, go. <laughs> but what Red did was unacceptable. No. Mm. That laser though. Yeah, it was pretty strong. Yeah. Why didn't you just use it on the monster? That, really? la- that laser never made a comeback later in the film. Come no, think, it but... didn't. Instead, they used a 50 cow from a, from a jet fighter. Yeah. Which, after a bit of research, they got the guns wrong. It doesn't matter, though. It's yeah. a movie. It's yeah. fine. No, it's fine. It's fine. Well, what, what's not fine is the fact that now we're talking about it, that laser that brought down an apartment building could have brought down those monsters. You would have thought so. Mm. But they didn't. Well, in fact, I did read that um, the script was changed nine times during production to make <laughs> way for um, the effect of weather as well as other, other issues. So perhaps this was just a byproduct of those script changes. Yeah. That thing just touched down south of New York. So we've come to that part of the show where it is, uh, it's called searchimdb.com, the internet movie database, and uh, we type in letter by letter the name of the movie and we figure out just how ingrained into society this movie is by what comes up as we type. Here we go. What's the film called again? (laughs) Well, you know what? That's another question altogether because uh, in some parts of the world, this is called Atlantic Rim. Uh, Sometimes it's called Attack from Beneath. Sometimes it's called Attack from the Atlantic Rim. And sometimes it's called From the Sea. Okay. But I think we should search for Atlantic Rim. Here we go. Typing it in. A... T, Atlanta, starring Danny Glover. L, A, N, T, I, Stargate Atlantis from 2004. Atlantic Space R, I, Nothing Yet, Still, Stargate Atlantis. Atlantic Rim. Would you believe that it hasn't come up yet? How many letters is that? A, N, T. L-A-N-T-L. What if I type in beneath? What was? What did you say it was beneath? B E N. I think from the sea was its second most predominant title. I don't know why they gave it four different names. Well, hedging their bets, it seems. <laughs> beneath, what is it beneath the rim? Uh, no, um, attack from. Hang on. Attack <laughs> from beneath. Attack from. Uh, nothing. I've got Attack Force from 2006 starring Steven Seagal. Is that a film we should be watching? Possibly. Well, I just saw it today and I think it definitely is. Did you really? Well, I didn't see it today. I saw it as we were looking for good, big, great films to discuss. It didn't come up. Attack from Beneath. From the Sea, perhaps. Let's try From the Sea. All right. F-R-O-M, From Dusk Till Dawn. Right. From Beneath. From Beneath, nothing. The, nothing. From Beneath the Sea, nothing. Right. So it's not on IMDb. This does not seem like a very popular film. Oh. This does not bode well. But you know what? Before we rate this um, with Cornell's out of five, it was entertaining. 
It was entertaining. It seems as though the asylum have cornered that market of the mock you buster, of the mock buster, sorry. Right. Where they take films that are popular and then do them at a lower a lower budget. Mm. Speaking of which, the budget of this particular film was five hundred thousand US dollars. Just shows what you can do. Right, yeah. Or what you shouldn't do with five hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> So the final segment of the show is us scoring the film out of five kernels. James, you take it away this time because I feel like I always go first. Well, I know that we've gone through a few um, a few movies before. We've awarded two lower mark for very good films and two higher mark for very bad films. I really enjoyed this film. Yes, it was a mockbuster. Yes, the acting was woeful. The lines were atrocious. The fact that one quote took me about five or six times to actually write down uh, onto my laptop. I'm going to go ahead and give this a three popped kernels out of a potential five. That's right. I hear your gas. Oh, goodness. Because you gave Lost in the Pacific. That's Lost in the Pacific. This is my favorite to date. Of wow. Our- Look, I just, I can't, I can't do it to Brandon Ruth <laughs> to consider this film on par with Lost in the Pacific after everything that he's, he's given uh, to that particular film. I don't think this was as Bad, anywhere near as bad as Hottie versus the Noddy. Um, so I'm inclined to give this two and a half kernels out okay. of five. That's fair. It is fair. So I maintain the faith with Brandon Ruth. Thanks for listening. Till next time, our unpaid intern is Archie. I've been Maxie. And I'm James. And you have been listening to Popped Corn. Thank you for listening, and we'll speak to you in our next episode. Do we have a film? No, that's all we need.